When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Josh Rutledge, your co-host for Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to support us more, please head over to our website, fearscapepodcast.com. There you can click on store and browse some really awesome t-shirts and maybe pick a couple up. Or even go to our Patreon page and see how you can support us monthly. We love bringing you awesome content just as much as you like listening to it. Enjoy the show. Hello. I'm so glad you could join us. I hope you brought your blanket to hide under. The spooky crew is going to discuss things and events from other realms. Ghosts. Cryptids. Aliens. Be sure to hold your blanket extra tight as the boys take you deep into the fear scale, fear scale, fear scale. <laughs> Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another frightening episode of Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. I am your host, Stefan Gearhart, and I am here to bring you the spookiest of the spookiest, and I am joined, as always, by the man I would consider a tasty treat, my co-host, Josh Rutledge. I am the uh, Mike and Ikes of podcast. Ah, uh, no, Jujubees. You're the Juju- Jujubees. Oh, Jujubees. You get stuck in my teeth all the time, oh, and nah. I'm always digging at you to get out of there, but yet I still enjoy you. Yeah, well, you know, this is getting to be almost a Santosh episode, so <laughs> we got to be careful here. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're stuck in my teeth. You pull my fillings out. That's essentially what you are. Uh, no, uh, thank you guys for tuning in to another fun episode. We've got a really interesting topic tonight. We are going to be discussing uh, a very interesting man named John Teeter. And, uh, just, I don't even want to give away the stuff no. that he was into, but those of you that are listening and already know, kudos to you. And those of you that are tuning in and don't know who he is, get ready. Cause yeah. this is, it's uh, something else. Yeah. Researching him was, uh, like a rabbit hole experience. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, this is going to be a very, very fun, interesting, uh, topic. One that we didn't think would result in such a deep rabbit hole yeah. and has become a big one, as my uh, uncle would say. Well, and so is Aerosmith would say, I think. Yeah, sure. Whatever. Uh, so let's go <laughs> ahead and move into our segments. Uh, so the very first segment, as always, is the psychic word of the week. And now. Psychic word of the week. So we've got our psychic word or words for the week coming from the Encyclopedic Psychic Dictionary from the June Bletzer, PhD. Rest in peace, honey. Uh, and what we do, we bibliomancy this thing up and we just 
spin the. I keep wanting to say spin like it's an old card file or something, but we flipped the pages. Yeah. You did it this time. We landed on something that I feel like we need to do both of them. Okay. So the first one is teleportation, psychokinesis. And then the second one, and you'll understand why I want to do both, is teleportation, telekinesis. Okay. So I would say we're looking at the two different sides of the same coin, maybe. So let's start with teleportation psychokinesis. This says to levitate an article or one's own body and transport it horizontally through the air by using mind concentration performed by one, one who has a well-disciplined mind and the understanding of the gravitational field takes many years or incarnations to accomplish two. One who is in a state of spiritual ecstasy during the peak experience when one is free from materialistic thoughts and thus free from the law of gravity. The body becomes buoyant, lifts off of the ground, and floats through the air. Authenticated experiences have been reported that a priest floated up the aisle of his church during a service once. Hmm. So it's it's basically... The, the, the difference here is that it's the tele- it's the actual movement so you can you can have the the lifting effect but the difference here in this definition is that you're actually moving moving yeah i mean it's the, you got the fizzy lifting drink right? right but you've got a radio control as well right the next one of course is teleportation telekinesis so let's see what the difference is here this one says to levitate an article or one's own body and transport it away from the area horizontally through the air in its original form accomplished by a medium synchronizing with the etheric world intelligences while in a deep trance so that they can use the medium and the sitters if necessary ectoplasmic energy usually performed in a seance room but are Articles have been t- teleported, ooh, teleported miles away. For example, a dish of candy moving through the air unaided and stopping at each of the sitters for them to help themselves. Levitation is accomplished as the step before teleportation. So, you hmm. know, it's interesting. This this almost hints more at almost like Star Trek teleportation in yeah. some respects, though the first one didn't feel that way. Or the um, what's the the Philadelphia experiment? Uh, yeah, they right. Tried to, you know, <laughs> so instead of using electromagnetic rays to transport a ship, they just had a bunch of mediums uh, sitting around and transporting. Right, and so it's like, what is the difference between psychokinesis and telekinesis? Um, so I'm going to look up psychokinesis real quick because I'm curious. I've heard it before, but I'm not exactly. Uh, just just for a little, uh, if, if somebody offers you a bowl uh, uh, full of uh, candy that is mostly just, just nuts, uh, ask them if they used to be peanut M&Ms. So just, you know, just as a word to wise. So, um, so... <laughs> So essentially, um, without having to read this whole thing, because we could use this later on, uh, down at the bottom it says, Do not confuse psychokinesis with telekinesis. Telekinesis is where, in the etheric world, the etheric world intelligences are the ones that perform the phenomena, where a psychokinesis is you're doing it. You're doing it. Gotcha. So human versus spirits, essentially. That's why the medium is so important. Right. Because yeah. the medium is therefore being a medium between yeah. the threes. Kind of like how, how water can be a medium. Right? Sure. I, I'm also thinking about, like, layered shots. <laughs> yeah, well, when you think about, 
um, electricity for electricity to flow, it needs a medium. Right. right. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. That can like yeah. in the scientific. So they sense need of the, the Fox sisters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, very, very interesting. Here's, here's two ways to teleport yourself. Um, you know, and we know that there are far more than that in terms of astral projection oh, and yeah. different things, but this seems to be moving a physical object or yourself. So since you mentioned astral projection there, let's say you were to astral project and then someone teleported your body mm. to somewhere else. Your, your ribbon would still take you back to your body, right? I don't know. If they're just being teleported in terms of moved, right? Yeah. Yes, but it's like, if it, if it's like, uh, you know, where you're Barkley over there in the, in the, uh, teleporter, you know, does your body right. disintegrate and reassemble? At that point, does the, the cord get cut? Get cut? Or, or does your astral body also disintegrate and then your astral body is in a different spot as well based off huh. of the length that it was? Man, that's some deep conversational thought. I wish right Gene there. Roddenberry was still yeah. alive. I'd ask him. He'd be like, what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if he did a, an AMA on Reddit, <laughs> that's the question yeah. they have. All right, Gene. All right, you're astral projecting uh, in the 24th century. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. That's, that's good stuff right there. That is. Uh, but yeah, so very, very interesting. That was our psychic, uh, words of the week. We had two of them that week, but those were excellent. Absolutely excellent. Fantastic. So let's go ahead and jump right into spooky news for this week. I got a good one. All right, now I know I always say I got a good one, but it's just because I love finding this stuff. Uh, so this one um, kind of fits into some of the theories that not just us, but a lot of people have had lately that we're about to kind of fall into another UFO flap again. Yep. Um, and so this one says here, this is from Patch.com, says UFO sightings soar once again in Connecticut. Says numerous UFO sightings have already been reported in Connecticut in 2020. Here's where they have been reported. So it's kind of like a, a list, but it's just Connecticut, you mm. know. And uh, I mean, we're what? We're just six months into the year, yeah. And they're already saying like, "Holy free holies." Um, it says, as of Memorial Day weekend, there have been 22 UFO sightings in Connecticut for 2020 already, and a surge of reports have occurred since the coronavirus pandemic began. People are at home. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and this is according to a database compiled by the National UFO Reporting Center. Um, so that's one I have not heard. New, no. New Fork. Um, in 2019, 106 UFO sites were reported across the state of Connecticut. The New Fork has existed since 1974 and investigates reported sightings around the world. There have been more than 90,000 reports made globally. These are all towns in Connecticut with at least one reported sighting in 2020. Danielson, East Haddam, East Hartford lists a number of different towns, um, including Greenwich and some of the bigger ones. Uh, it says that uh, Wallingford has already had four sightings in 2020. So this is Wallingford, Connecticut. They have four sightings. Uh, What's the population of Wallington? Uh, I'm not sure. You can look that up. Yeah, I'll look that up. So uh, this says, I was going out to take the garbage out, and I saw the ball of light flying towards me. I ran back inside, and I thought, I'm going to be abducted, a North Stonington resident reported. In Weston, Connecticut, 
A man said, 60 white lights were over Weston. And I work in Weston, and I've seen 60 lights following each other in formation. And I'm working here again today, and I saw a bright light fly over Weston again at the same time, but it was just one light this time. This must be an area for them to fly over. So there are 6,000 people. As of the 2010 census, there were 6,000 people in uh, Willing, Willing, whatever it is, Willington, yeah. Connecticut. Weston. Oh, you're looking at the first one. Yeah. Wallingford. So you're looking at the wrong. Oh. So we've got Wallingford and Weston. So look up Weston. Like, did you stay at a Weston last night? <laughs> yeah, W-E-S-T-O-N. Curious now. 10,000. So still, yeah. Still. Still. Weston. And then look up Wallingford, too, because they've already had four. Wallingford. Yeah, exactly what it sounds like. 45,000. So uh, one per every 10,000 people? Yeah. yeah. All right. Anyways, another one says, driving statistics, my friend. Uh, another person says, driving on West Road, we saw a stationary craft in the sky above me with at least three lights too close to me to be a plane, and it was not moving. It seemed like a sparkly thing was coming down slowly from it, like a slow-moving pin of light towards my car. And I stopped the car and said to myself, what is that? I got so scared, and I just wanted to keep moving, and so I did. And this was, uh, don't get confused here, an Ellington resident. Oh, Ellington. <laughs> no W there. Yeah. Uh, another one here says... Square or diamond-shaped object flying, then hovering at a low altitude. My husband and I were driving south from Washington uh, towards Roxbury on Bell Hill Road. I noticed an orange light in the sky that seemed to be fairly low and moving at a slow speed. As we got closer, driving at approximately 30 miles per hour, I stuck my head out of the window just to see what was going on and saw it going overhead. As we went over it, I noticed the object was square or diamond shaped with a white light at the front, a red light at each corner, two sides and the rear. As we stopped at an intersection to take a look, we didn't notice any sound, though it appeared to be flying lower than usual aircraft. We continued driving down the road for about a mile when we pulled over to try to see the object again. We spotted the same flashing orange light that I noticed on our initial approach in the distance. We watched it for about five minutes. And though it was far away, the object did not appear to move. I was trying to judge its movement based on its proximity to large trees that was that were in the foreground. It stayed in the same place until we got into the car and left. And boy, that sounds so much like uh, Betty and Barney uh, Hill's it's, story. Yeah. Like the, you all got lucky. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's like uh, you know our experience uh, last weekend or whatever um, with. Uh, was it last weekend? I, 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 time is lost on me, my friend. Weekend, uh, whenever it was, freaking, whenever, freaking weekend. I, I, th- I think it might have been the weekend before because I remember talking about it as part of our uh, creepy ketchup. But anyways, when we saw those things, it's it's like a mixed it's a mixed feeling. You know, I I want to see more. Uh, I don't know that I'm yet ready to meet uh, any anything <laughs> that might be in those craft. Um, right. Uh, to your point, you know, you got lucky with the whole, you know, abduction stuff. So, I mean, it's just, um, I don't mind seeing it all. I, let's say it this way. Uh, when you go to the new car show, you know, 
Now, you want to walk up and you want to see the cars. You want to kind of sit in the cars, but you don't want to talk to the salespeople, right? Right. Same thing. I want to see the craft. I want to go inside the craft. I just don't want to talk to anybody that has to tell me about the craft. <laughs> I, I don't want nothing to do with you, boy. I mean, you can just stand off to the side in your shiny spacesuits and watch me. You you can ask for my phone number and a mailing address, and if I want to go to for a test drive, just don't try to take me anywhere. Right, exactly. Um, so I do have another one. Uh, I wanted to get one more in because uh, this one is ridiculous. <laughs> this one comes from ufoholic.com, so be ready. Okay. Uh, the, the headline uh, – where's my headline at? My headline's already gone. Um Basically, a seven-foot-long skeleton of a hellhound was found in England, I believe. Uh, so here, here's that story. It says, known by the name of Black Shuck, a name believed to derive from an old English word for black demon, this seven-foot-tall dog appeared as a bringer of death in many tales from 500 years ago to now. In the 16th century, its inhabitants of the British Isles were horrified by the brutal deaths committed by this giant hellhound with bright red burning eyes. Now, it took about 500 years for archaeologists to uncover its earthly remains under the ruins of Lyston Abbey in Suffolk. This is in England. In a nameless grave. 30 inches deep while several pottery fragments were covering its body. The massive dog skeleton was analyzed by a veterinarian who approximated its weight at about 200 pounds where it lived while measuring not less than 7 feet on its hind legs. Could these skeletal remains have belonged to the feared black shuck? And if so, why would it rest under holy ground after all the atrocities it had committed? Could this find reveal some kind of ritualistic form of burial used uh, upon the feared dog? Um, it goes on a little bit just talking about black shuck, but it goes on later to say uh, the black dog or devil in such a likeness uh, was running all along down the body of the church with great swiftness and incredible haste among the people in a visible form and shape passed between two persons as they were kneeling upon their knees and occupied in prayer as it seemed wrung the necks of both of them at one instant clean backwards in a so much that even a moment where they kneeled they strangely died this is a report from the church um, but according to the latest radiocarbon dating tests, the strange remains seem to correspond to the time when Black Shuck was indeed terrorizing Eastern Anglia and Suffolk region. If it was indeed the feared hellish beast, or someone's faithful and extremely big hunting dog, we can only assume, the legend still remains, with people remembering it through rock songs or naming local clubs or antique shops after the Black Dog. Uh, one other person, of course, suggests that it seemed to be a vet said that it may be the skeletal remains of a great dane is what they think though the shape is different but if this was in the 1500s who knows what a great dane was like back then well so i looked up here the average height of a great dane is around 30 to 34 inches which is not seven feet well that's the height not the length so it would need to be the length well no it, your article said at the hind legs yeah, if it were standing up. 
Ah, I see. Right. What you're so, because yeah, so it it would be the it, technically it would be as if it were to a uh, walk up right. Correct. Is what you're saying. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Then you I know, can I can see it being from yeah. Because I mean I many I I my uh, ex stepmother uh, Terry she raises and breeds Great Danes and so I've always been around them. They are indeed tall mofos. <laughs> and my cousins Stephanie and uh, Bonnie and them they also have Great Danes and so. Uh, they are the sweetest dogs, but dear God, they think they're chihuahuas and love to lay on your lap. I mean, it, it could have been like a Great Dane mixed with like a bull mastiff or something. Or something crazy, so, yeah, yeah. Who knows? Some sort of black dog, right? Yeah. You know, but it was enough to scare people. Or, I mean, you know, and you can't trust the church at that time. They were using scare tactics as a way to get people in church. Yeah, so. for all we know, it was a guy in a suit. I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that's my spooky news for this week. I've got, you know, some some uh, possible skeletal remains of a hellhound, uh, which in my opinion, I don't think a demon dog would die, but whatever. And then, of course, some UFO side which leads us into the next segment, which is our UFO sighting for the week. Yeah, so this one comes to us from um, uh, LaGrange, actually Buckner, Kentucky, I apologize, uh, which is uh, as the UFO flies uh, not too far from here. Uh, yeah, from just a few house. miles. Yeah, That's so, pretty close. And um makes me wonder if I would have gone out that night to look at the sky, which I wanted to and I didn't, if I would have seen it too. But anyways. At 11.15 p.m. on 6-6-2020, I am an amateur astronomer and computer engineer. I'm accustomed to understanding what I see in the world around me. On Saturday night at 11.15 p.m., my wife and I both saw an orange orb flying across the sky above our house. We watched it for 60 seconds until it disappeared over the horizon. It appeared to be around five to 10,000 feet in altitude and moving about the same speed a commercial airliner would be at that height. It did not blink or make a noise. It moved in a straight line from north to south. Google says the most common explanation is a Chinese lantern. It wasn't that. I held an ATF display fireworks license for three years and set off many of those and know what they look like. As for size, it was big. Between one quarter and one half the size of a full moon. Ooh, that's bigger than what we saw. But it's similar besides the color. Yeah. It's very similar to what we saw. Well, and I mean, yeah, so talking earlier about the whole uh, spike in UFO sightings, I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, at, at the time when you were reading that article, I, so unfortunately we've talked about it before that there's so many, because of the whole Starlink stuff, there's so many of those, like, you know, the guy said that he saw, you know, a, a line of UFOs go across the mm-hmm. sky. So, so part of me wants to say that the skeptic in me says that's probably Starlink, but I think the ones where you see like one, one thing flying, that that's hard to dispute as Starlink. And it's low and it's big, right? So, like in 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 our encounter that we had uh, about a month or a month and a half ago in the park, where we saw the line, even though I'm pretty sure that was not Starlink based on the positioning, it could still be disputed as Starlink. Right, right. Even I still question myself on that. So to to it's almost like 
Um, you know, we, we've talked about this before. If the UFOs are traveling in a similar pattern to confuse people and make them think it's Starlink. And so it makes you wonder if now so many individual sightings are coming forth because everybody's saying it's Starlink. And so they, you know, the, whoever the or the people that are in or whatever in the UFOs are saying, Hey, we got to, we got to make some regular appearances too, because people are saying everything is Starlink. The MIB. Yeah. Possibly. Um, but yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you on that. And it, it, you know, and that's what makes it honestly. And that's what makes some of the other things we've seen that much more remarkable. Right. Because now I'm like, well, that, Definitely wasn't Starlink. Starlink. Yeah. You know, like, uh, especially I mean, that big bright white one. Yeah, I mean, the, the last two that we've seen, um, I mean, they weren't even at, like, orbit level. Mm-hmm. When they were, like, in the sky. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, it was, uh, so anyway, so it's an amazing story. Uh, it really, I think it gives, even though it wasn't on the same night as when we were out in the backyard, it still gives credence that something else is happening in the area. Yeah. That here we, you know, here we saw something and then a week later someone in the same area saw something again. What so. if it was meant for us? <laughs> we just never went out there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think about that all the time. I, I really do think about all the times that I want to go out in the backyard and look up at the night sky and choose not to if I should. Right. You know, you know, and I, I have been, uh, lied to by Chinese lanterns before. Um, I'd never seen them until probably like 10 years ago. And I was out at my dad's. I was sitting on the back porch and like hundreds of them came by and they were pretty high in the sky. And I, I'm like, oh my God, we are getting invaded. You but know? they have like a flicker, right? Well, these were up so high. I couldn't, couldn't tell. see the flicker, you know, and I'd never seen anything orange in the sky before like yeah. that before. And then some lower ones came by and I was able to see it and I was like, oh. Well, that's no fun. <laughs> it was still cool, and I've kind of become obsessed with them since then. But yeah. I was like, "We're dead." Yeah. So this is so interesting. You know that again that this is so recent to when we were out there, and also in the same area. So maybe the next time that I have this kind of urge to walk outside and look up at the sky, maybe I should just take a few minutes and walk out and yeah, do that. Can't hurt. You're right. Can't hurt. All right. Well, let's get into our last segment before we get into the topic and let's get into this week's uh, creepy catch up. 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 Y'all, it's creepy. Y'all, it is creepy. Yeah. It is creepy. So I'm going to tell you mine first because I didn't have like any paranormal experience this week. Um, it was pretty, uh, uh, excuse the pun, but it was pretty dead. Um, <laughs> but I did have a creepy experience by something that has creeped me out before. And that would be that stupid data cardboard cutout of my mother-in-law's again. So Kenobi got spooked by it again. Right. Mm-hmm. We, I had gone into the, the room that it's in and I had moved it so it was facing the hallway. And I mean, Kenobi's walking down the hallway and all of a sudden he yelps and I'm like, Oh God, what is that? Right. <laughs> and his hair's standing up and he's barking, which I've, I've told you before he doesn't yeah. bark. And uh, it was data again. And I was like, ha ha ha. And so we kind of put it close to the door because we thought it was hilarious that we were trying to get Kenobi. Yeah. So, uh, that night I go to, you know, I, I stay up real late. And so I just got done watching. I don't even know. Yeah. I don't know if I was watching a documentary or a horror movie. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. But I turned off all the lights 
and I'm walking and I usually just have my phone flash, not the flashlight even, just the screen because I don't yeah. want to wake up Sarah or anything. And I'm walking by, man, and it just illuminates the silhouette. <laughs> and I mean, from top to bottom, I was like, <laughs> like, and I screamed and Sarah's like, are you okay? Like, oh, and it was freaking data and it got me again, dude. It freaking got me. So yeah, it scared me big time, and I've been foiled again by Data, and Sarah's mom thought it was the funniest thing. So I was thinking about it, and I might give it away if, if Sarah's mom listens to the, to the show, so I, you might have to like wait a little bit and try to give it. <clears throat> get some, uh, get some fishing twine, and like, just kind of like tape it to Data's head, and then put it Somewhere like where if you walk on it, it'll pull data at you. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm auto- automatically thinking about um, Home Alone uh, two, I think, or maybe one where he's got the uh, oh. the cardboard cutout that's like dancing, dancing. and What's then the, the one that's one? in the shower yeah, yeah. and like <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. That's the first one, yeah. But uh, you know, if you could figure out some way to rig it to where like you it would fall towards you, I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure that would. Uh... Yeah, and what would happen is it would happen to me, <laughs> and I would scream. <laughs> Because that's my luck. <laughs> but yeah, other than that, I didn't have anything uh, creepy this week happen to me. Um, though I did spend a lot of time looking at the stars. I was looking at the moon. I mean, the moon was absolutely gorgeous this week. Um, Sarah and I met up with some friends on Saturday, and it was that beautiful full strawberry moon. Mm-hmm. And we saw it when it was just orange and just massive, and it was just spectacular, man. Absolutely spectacular. So very cool. Um, I also have not had that much. Um, I, uh, except for this. So like three nights ago, four nights, three nights, something like that. Um, I had a dream and in my, so I've had a lot of dreams lately with my dog Eli that passed. Yeah, very interesting. Um, and so t- the other night that I had a dream and in my dream he was like, you know, alive and he was living here at the house and, and we were playing and, and, uh, he had gotten out. And was running around the house, and he didn't have his collar on, so I was worried he was, like, going to get in the street or something. And so I was chasing him around the house, and then, like, he disappeared. Like, I couldn't find him. And so I looked everywhere, and I couldn't find him anywhere. And I finally found him, and he was, like, laying behind some shrubs in my front, like, the front of my house, against the the house, against the wall, below uh, our window to our office, and I've got some, um, some like tall lily flowers that are standing there. And so he like, he had, uh, trampled over a couple of them and everything. And so like, I reached back there and I got a hold of him. You know, we went inside and I put, I put his collar on him. So now fast forward to a couple of days later, I was outside and I was taking some pictures, uh, with the like flowers and things around mm-hmm. the house and just doing some stuff. And, and, um, back in that area some of the flowers were actually laid over and i got down to look and see what was and they were like they were laid over at the ground and some of the other like fauna around the area was also pressed down onto the ground as if something was laying there so um that's spooky cool (laughs) uh i don't know so like you know i'll talk to my wife about it and she's like, well, maybe it's a cat or maybe it's something else. And it's sure you can say maybe it's anything. That's what skeptics do. Right. But it's like the thing is, what if it was Eli? 
Yeah. Right? What if it was? Why can't we say that? Why can't we say, well, it might have been Eli. Might have been his yeah. spirit. Um, because he, he does seem to be a powerful spirit for you, mm-hmm. you know, and is showing up a lot in dreams and things like that. And, and there's probably a reason for it. Yeah. You know, whether it's just him trying to say hi or to let you know something or to just not forget him. Right. I don't know. Well, and I, you know, something that I was thinking about a little while ago when I was talking with uh, you and Santosh about it is you guys were talking about having a spirit guide. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if if uh, if Eli is my spirit guide. It's possible. And he may have been your spirit guide while he was alive, too. Or was your spirit guide, you know, um, when you were born and then took on the body of Eli when Eli was born. Right. You know, uh, who knows? Yeah. None of us really know. But, yeah, it's it's very, very possible because, I mean, I, I'm definitely one of those that believe that in our next life we could be animals. So I, I completely believe that animals have the souls of humans, hmm. you know, and that's my own personal opinion. But, yeah, yeah why not? So, so yeah, that's that's the that's the extent of my uh, creepy catch. It's not really creepy. It's it's, it's more uh, comforting yeah. than anything. It's comforting yeah. catch up. So <laughs> I had uh, scary catch up. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah. All right. Well, let's get moving into our topic. And of course, before we head to our topic, let us take a quick ad break. Hey, blanket huggers. Stefan here from Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. And do we have a scary good deal for you right now? If you head over to fearscapepodcast.com forward slash Gamefly, you can get a 30-day free trial Gamefly subscription on us. Now, if you're not familiar with Gamefly, it's a game and movie rental service where you can play the hottest video games for systems like the Nintendo Switch, Xbox One, or even the PS4. You can get up to two games or movies out at a time, and you can do that an unlimited amount of times a month. Josh and I love to play our game systems, and I am really enjoying the Final Fantasy VII Remake right now. And if you're like me, games are too expensive to buy and beat in the same weekend. Well, with Gamefly, you can get it and keep a game as long as you need. Then you just send it back and get the next game on your list. So head on over to FearscapePodcast.com forward slash Gamefly today and give it a try. All right, thank you guys for sticking around. We are going to be talking about John Teeter. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'm just going to let you take over from here, man. Yeah. Uh, John um, Teeter uh, also rhymes with Peter. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's Teeter or Titor. Titor or Titer. I don't think it's tighter. No. no. I don't think so. <laughs> I would make up my own stuff. I don't yeah, know. yeah. That's why I don't do research. So, um, this guy popped on the scene... Um, November 2nd, 2000. And, um, there's a, uh, there's a time travel institute message board. It's still out there. You can actually go and read all of these, uh, responses from John. Uh, you know, when I was going through and documenting things, uh, at some point I had well over 150 pages of responses. And so this is uh, pre Reddit, right? This yeah. Is- so this is. Yeah, this I mean this is 2000. So yeah, it's so like 2000 2001. Yep. And so he's just on different boards. I mean, just any paranormal board he could find essentially, right? Or time no, travel he's, board. No, he's or... specifically on this board. Oh, okay. And only this board. And it has to do with the time travel. So it's 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 called the website is bbs.timetravel.institute. Um and it's really for people who get on there and talk about their theories and ideas around time travel. So 
this guy, uh, uh, I think his handle name was Paul, um, and he made this creative. Yeah, creative. <laughs> he made this big long um, topic discussion around um, you know how paradoxes work and and uh, you know if you were to go back in time and you know see your grandmother for example don't kill her because you'll never be born and all this kind of stuff oh he, man so they're busting through the rules yeah. it makes you wonder if movies got you know any ideas based off these boards so um so anyway so he he did this big long explanation so you know a few people reply so then this john tedor guy comes in and he replies and he says wow paul is right on the money I was just about to give up hope on anyone knowing who Tipler or Care was in this world line. By the way, number two is the correct answer in the basics of time travel. They start at CERN in about a year and end in 2034 with the first time machine being built by GE. Yeah, so then he says, you know, too bad we can't post pictures or I'd show it to you. So this is back 2000. I wonder if the board was different. You know, looking at the board now, I see pictures and stuff. So could have been just a different time. Or I think at the based on what I saw uh, in the responses, it was a restriction because he was a new member, mm. and so he couldn't post pictures. But right, so he um, had to earn I, yeah. a lot of messages, or even uh, Reddit, or one yeah. of them. You got to earn your way up to do better things. So what's funny is um, this person on there named Pamela. Um, she ends up reaching out to him and says, Hey, I'll post them for you. Send them to me. So he sends them to her. She posts them. Now, the links that are, are provided are no longer valid because I did click on them and I was oh, like, Man, it's not working. sucks. So, um, but you can still find the pictures that he, that, that, that were shared. You just got to look. Um, so, Basically, and I'm gonna, I, I've pulled what I think are probably some of the more interesting responses that he gave to some of the questions that were asked uh, out of the 150 plus pages that I found. So, so real quick, so this dude just shows up out of nowhere with knowledge. Yep. Interesting. And what's what's really what's really I think more um, interesting than anything. Is that in all of the uh, back and forth conversation that's had on this message board, um, he has really plausible answers for, for everybody's questions. <laughs> well, I would assume so, or why would we be talking about it? Right, exactly. Right. So, um, so he works with uh, Pamela. Uh, they apparently email back and forth uh, quite a bit, and then she comes in and she would drop like these huge. Uh, you know, email responses where she would ask a, a series of questions. He'd reply back with answers and then she'd drop them on the board. Hmm. Um, at one point in time, I think that, uh, he stopped emailing her. And so she was like posting in the message board, you know, did I do something wrong and all this kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden he would start messaging again. So, <clears throat> so I'm just going to kind of read through some of the things here that, that he says. And we'll talk about a couple of these things because they're just really interesting what he, what he talks okay. about here. So. Um, so the first question that Pamela asks is, uh, can you tell me what it feels like to time travel? Uh, when you were in the process of doing it, what does it feel like? And what do you see and hear? You had made mention that you had to get used to the fields. Do you see a bright flash of light? So then, uh, John, who goes underneath the name time travel underscore zero, uh, uh, on the board, 
It says, interesting first question. The unit has a ramp up after the destination coordinates are fed into the computers. An audible alarm and a small light start a short countdown, at which point you should be secured in the seat. The gravity field generated by the unit overtakes you very quickly. You feel a tug toward the unit, similar to rising quickly in an elevator, and it continues to rise based on the power setting the unit is working under. At 100% power, the constant pull of gravity can be as high as 2 Gs or more, depending on how close you are to the unit. There are no serious side effects, but I try to avoid eating right before a flight. So I will tell you this. First of all, I'm a little freaked out because, one, I've had a few time travel dreams before, and that sensation that he talked about is exactly what I felt. But I will also tell you it's also a similar sensation to Astral as well. Yeah. Um, The other thing is, is does he say who he is or where he got his unit from? Oh, yeah. So he goes into it. So, you know, it's up to you. I can I can give you a little more information about him now or we can get to it in the conversation. Because, <laughs> yeah, I want to know who and where he's from and what right. he, who he's saying he is. But, I mean, it's up to you to decide. Where All right. So be. so I'll give you a little bit of information so you can apply that context to what we're going to talk about here. So he's from the year 2034. OK, so he's from the future. He's not a, a modern cat. Correct. He's from the year 2034. Um, he. uh Man, a lot of the stuff that they talk about, how they describe their community, it's, it's stuff that we've talked about before. But basically, there was a uh, there was a civil war that led to a world war. God, that's scary because what's happening right now in America? Um, the uh, after the civil after the world war, the United States broke up into five territories. The states are still around. They're just more in those five territories. Right. So at one point in time, he talks about they're, they're thinking about changing the flag from 50 stars to five stars. Hmm. Um, all the states have power. So there's really no. So it's still the United States. Right. It's uh, but it's like now there are these bigger principalities. Right. That exist that have so instead of governors you would have like a regional governor right. so to speak. It's sounding very much like the Galactic Republic. <laughs> so so here this next little piece of information I'm gonna give you should sound familiar because it's a dream that I had and I told you about. <laughs> so um, they all live in small communities. Mm-hmm. Um, so within each state there's a community of people. Um, all of the the stores are local for the community. Um, Things are shipped in for the community. All the vegetables, livestock, everything is raised for the community. Um, they still have technology. The internet's still around, all that kind of stuff. It sounds but, like a lot of monopolies have been broken up. Yeah, but there's like, it's very much community centric. Um, so, yeah, so that's just a little bit of information about it's crazy where, to think because now we're 14 years away from when he says he is living at that moment. Well, and, and a lot of the dates that he gives have come and gone and things didn't happen. Mm. And, and he has he has a reason for that. Sure. I mean, paradoxes, you know, or different things like that. I mean, just him simply saying anything could cause a change in the timeline. Well, also, um, and I don't I don't remember how much of this I included in. So I'll go ahead and say it now. But he, he describes time travel as so I'm trying to think how to how to say this. <laughs> 
because he doesn't do a good job of explaining it, but I understand what he's saying, which is scary. Um, think of it like a, uh, a loosely bundled group of cables. So every cable in the bundle uh, is a different world line. So almost like a multiverse Yeah, type. I think we talked about that in the Unhinged time travel yeah. episode. It also reminds me of when Bill and Ted are going down, you see all those different lines, right. right? So each one of those is a world line. When they time travel, they don't go back in time on their world line. They go back in time to a world line that is really close to the timeline of their world line so that... Um, it's likely to still have a lot of the same stuff that they need because they only travel back in time to get things that they need for the future. Now that's something that I've heard before too, was not only that, like being able to go back on another time world line. So therefore it also does not mess up the future. Yeah. Right. But also I've heard this idea that, um, time travel is not traveling as much as it is phasing into another dimension that is back in 1673. Yeah. Parallel with ours right now, yet there in 1673, we're in 2020, right? I've heard that as well. So, you know, he talks about how the machine that does all this calculation. Skynet. Yeah, it has to. It has to look at. Actually, it's built by GE, so it has to look right at, here in Louisville, man. Yeah. So he uses a C two hundred four, which he talks about why it's a C two hundred four, and I'll get into that uh, in a little bit. But um, what it does is it calculates a divergence. So it, it the great the greatest divergence it's willing to accept is two percent. So a two percent divergence from whatever world world line he is coming from. So that's why. In, you know, so I think in his in his world line, there was a civil war that erupted in 2004. In our world line, we didn't have that in 2004. Right. And the, the reason could be because that divergence was enough that it delayed or changed what was supposed to happen. Because when you think about you know two lines that are running at 2% convergence, the farther you get into that line the more that that divergence grows, right? Mm -hmm. So you may start at a certain point at 2%, but by the time you reach his year, 2034, it may be as great as 50 or 60% divergence. Right. Yeah, similar kind of idea in the show Fringe, yeah. um, where that, that other world they went to had uh, something didn't happen. Was it World War II or something like that? Didn't happen, and you know, so they were still able to have airships and all yeah. sorts of different things like I that. I don't remember what it was that didn't happen, but yeah, it was something, yeah, it was something like that, along yeah. that lines. So yeah, um, so uh, you know, getting back to this, to the, the initial conversation here between Pamela and um, oh, about what does time travel feel like and all that. Yeah, so he says that the you know, the the C two hundred four unit, which is again, that's the unit that he uses is accurate from 50 to 60 years a jump and travels at about 10 years an hour at 100% power. <laughs> Einstein is like, what? <laughs> yeah. So, so he's basically, so he, so in order to friend would travel, you know, 60 years, it's a six hour trip. That's interesting. That that's very, uh, in a lot of ways reminds me of HG Wells time machine yeah. where he could move faster in time or slower in time. Whereas he's not, he's like, Hey, it maxes out here, right. but it's still using years as a time gauge is, is or I well, mean, a speed gauge is very interesting. And he also talks about how, um, when he, when he's traveling, uh, 
his vehicle. So he actually traveled back in time in a 1967 uh, Chevrolet, or not Chevrolet, uh, Ford Mustang. And so somebody questioned him on it. So, you know, you've got a 67 Ford. <laughs> so this Ford. is like Back to the Future here? Well, somebody questions him. So you've got a 67 Ford Mustang in 2034. And he says, well, we were actually lucky to, lucky to find it. When we travel back to a certain time period, we have to make sure we use vehicles that would have been found oh, well, yeah, that in that sense, time period. Yeah. So he's like, so initially he traveled back to 1975. That was his initial trip. Then he came forward to 2000. So when he when he went to 1975, he sold the night the uh, 67 Ford Mustang in seven before he before he went mm-hmm. again to 2000, and he traveled in 2000. He's using a 1987 like Chevy pickup truck or something, and then so he's talking about his return trip is they'll have to go and sell that truck, buy another vehicle that you would find in 1975 because he has to go back to 1975 in order to go forward. On his world line to 2034. My brain hurts, Josh. (laughs) And and again, it gets back to the divergence, right? Mm -hmm. In 1975 is when the divergence is at the least, when those two world lines are so close together. So he has to go back to 1975 to ensure that he ends up back in his world line. Right. And then even then you said something earlier that it caught my ear was it could only move like 10 years at a time or something like that. Well, it can, it's it's valid within 50 to 60 years. That's what it was, 50 to 60 years. So he can go back 50 to 60 years, and then he would have to start again like yep. if he wanted to go back further. Well, only that unit can go back 50 or 60 years. Yeah. They have a different unit that can go back further. Oh. But, okay, let's say the 50, 60-year unit, right? He goes back 50 years, but he wants to go back 100 years. So he could then, once he goes back 50 years, restart it again and go back another 50? Only if the divergence isn't that much. Oh, okay. So, I mean, he's basically stuck within a 50-year window. Yeah. Okay. So, if he wanted to go back 100 years, let's say, let's say he had a unit that could do that, he would have to figure out, or the machine would have to calculate a world line that is within a 2% divergence that is 100 years back in time. Oh, yeah. I forgot uh, that the divergences have to be calculated in. It's too much math, man. (laughs) So, um, if this isn't making your brain hurt, you should read the entire, <laughs> um, anyway. So he, you know, so one of the other things that, uh, Pamela asks him is what are your memories of 2036? I think I said 2034 before we're 2036. Uh, he says, I remember 2036 very clearly. It is difficult to describe 2036 in detail without spending a great deal of time explaining why things are so different. Right. And so this is already a difficult question because he's in a essentially a different timeline right so. and it's you know again and he tries many times during the conversation he tries to explain to people that just because it happened in my world line won't mean right. it, it'll happen in yours because of the divergence so it's what's really scary and this is scary for me reading through all this is that a it makes sense mm-hmm. b it seems plausible and c um I understand it and I kind of believe it a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, well, and, and that feeds into some of the other things that we've seen before. We haven't talked about it yet, but the, the, the passenger from the country of Torion or whatever yeah. it was, it's like, and then this idea that there are these occasional phases and shifts of dimensions right. where they cross over. You know, it's like, here's this guy from Torion or whatever it's from. And what if he, 
you know, was on a separate world line, right? right? And it shifted into our world line for, you know, a day. Right. And for a moment, he's the one that shifted, right? Right. It's like, oh, man, it kind of fits some of those other theories. So, um, you know, he, he goes on to say that in 2036, he lives in central Florida with his family, and he's stationed in an army base in Tampa. Florida man goes back in time. <laughs> um, a world war in 2015 killed nearly 3 billion people. Jesus, that's almost half the population, the population of, the of the earth. Now, uh, so army, so he's a military guy. So is this uh, device military or is it something uh, the public can use? No, it's definitely there's like a, a unit of people who were put together. So Stargate, essentially. Yes. Okay. So... What sucks about that is, is that even if, let's say, we were on the same timeline as him, even if we got to 2036, we wouldn't know because yeah. it could have been some secret, right? you know, freaking project. Yeah, exactly. I guess that's true with a lot of things. I mean, we probably don't know half the stuff. Yeah. That, you know. You, wait so. t- well, you all wait till we talk about the secret <laughs> space program. <laughs> so um, he says that uh, life is centered around the family. And then the community. I cannot imagine living even a few hundred miles away from my parents. There is no large industrial complex creating masses of useless food and recreational items. Food and livestock is grown and sold locally. People spend much more time reading and talking together face to face. Now, he does say something here. Religion is taken seriously and everyone can multiply and divide in their heads. I don't know what that has to do with religion, but he did include it. Well, I mean, we don't know his world line if math was part of their religion. True. Right? I mean, there are <laughs> a lot of religions that do rely on math. But What's, it, what's it, really cool, and I don't think I included it here, but he talks a little bit about God in his world line. Mm-hmm. And so he says everybody works to get closer to God. But then later he talks about how God is not an entity. God is the world. Okay, now you're getting into my beliefs you know is that we are god yep. you know we are that and that the star trek world where you just work to better yourself is is that essentially yep. um and that humanism and and things like that it kind of fits that and, and it's interesting you know they talk about um the food and things like that because one thing i haven't really heard him talk about was work it seems like military of course which will never go away it seems like military and technology are kind of the only things out there. Everything else is just surviving and living and being commuted because we lost half the world and we realized, oh, crap, we have to be one. Well, he he, he does at some point in time say that as long as you uh, use your hands, you'll always find a job. Mm. Like if you can sit, like buckle down and do some work, you'll always have a job. Well, I wonder if, if money is involved. You know, he talks about it. He does. Oh, see, <laughs> all of your questions he this has is, answered. <laughs> this is some psychokinesis, right? Here. <laughs> so, um, a couple things here. I'm not going to read through it, but I want to highlight is he sent Pamela a few pages from the operator's manual for Ooh. the machine, and those pictures of those of the, the scanned images from that manual are available online. I've seen quite a few of them. They look like an army instructional manual. I mean, it looks That's straight crazy. up. It reminds me of uh, Napoleon Dynamite when his brother gets that time machine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, it even shows like a unit and it has like the call out lines that show like wow. what all the little different pieces are and everything. So it's, it's, uh, 
you know, if somebody, if this was a hoax, somebody went to a lot of effort mm-hmm. to make it a hoax. So, anyways, um, uh, let's see. How is uh, this world line different from your own? For starters, the fact that I'm here makes it different. <laughs> I've also noticed that little things like news events that happened at different times, football games won by other teams, things like that. I would guess the temporal divergence between this world line and my original is about 1-2%. to Of course, the longer I am here, the larger that divergence becomes from my own point of view. If he's coming back from 75 and he's in 2000, that already puts the difference bigger. Right. So, um, you know, she asked him, are you able to control where you go or is it random? And he says, yes, it can be controlled. However, the distortion unit has operational limits. Imagine your path through time is through a cone. The farther away from the center of the cone, the more differences you will see in the world line. The C204, again, that's the unit he's using, begins to break away at about 60 years. This means the level of confidence drops rapidly after 60 years of travel. Ah, okay. And the world line divergence increases. In other words, if I wanted to go back 2,000 years and meet Christ there is a better than average chance I would end up in a world line where he was never born. Because it's so far. Yep. Interesting. The computer units and gravity sensors record your trip and you are quite easily able to return to your point of origin. I am aware that research is being done on faster units with more accurate clocks. I was about to say, yeah, we're just at 2036. What what does it look like 100 years from then, you know? Uh, I imagine that they will be able to go back farther with a higher degree of divergence confidence. Interesting. Um, It says, are you able to go back to your old world line? Yes, he's already kind of answered that. Yeah, so, you know, it's funny that she the first question she had was vague because immediately I I was like, does she mean location or time? You know, because that's always my question is, is, does the Earth move you know, do you well end up in space? He answers that question too. Yes. <laughs> I love this guy. So I feel like after we do this episode, we're going to have to go back and do another time travel mm-hmm. uh, episode. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> um, so you know, she asks, "Do your people know where you are right now? Can you communicate with them? Do you have a biological implant? Do you know where you are?" <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he says, no, they do not know where I am, and I cannot communicate with them. Interesting idea, though. From their point of view, I will return almost exactly at the moment I left. Oh, I was going to ask that. I was going to ask that. So he comes back directly at the same time. So to them, it's like no time passed. So there would be no reason to communicate. He says, from their point of view, I will have only aged more than expected. So it's like he can come back and be here, let's say, in this time world line for five years. For five years. So he will have aged he five years. He will have aged five years. But from their perspective, he's only been gone for milliseconds. Yeah. Crazy. That's crazy. It, it is It is crazy to me that they can't communicate. Um, I was watching uh, that thing on History Channel. I told you about that time travel episode that yep. I watched. One of the things they talked about was uh, this theory that exists that time travels are already there and they are able to communicate through time space with one another. Hmm. 
Well, I, I don't know if you remember, there was a show on like NBC or ABC. It was only on for one season. I thought it was an excellent show, but it didn't make the cut. And it was basically Earth was dying because of over, overpopulation. So they sent a bunch of people back to the Jurassic period. Oh, Terra Nova or yes, whatever it was. That's what it was. Yes, I really liked that show too. Oh, they were canceling the best show. Ever. <laughs> Bring it back. <laughs> Alcatraz was around yeah. that time. That was a good show. Yeah, yeah I ain't even gonna talk about that. So, but like, you know, I don't know if you remember or not, but in Terra Nova, they could communicate with, uh, with the future. They had a predetermined place where they would put messages and the future would get them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's a classic Bill and Ted move yeah. as well. Oh, and, and uh, but fre- like the frequency. Way, the way that um, the show that I saw talked about it was that there was this force field that was essentially around you that, in all actuality, kept you within your time, if that makes sense. Mm. It's like the time energy was 2020, but we're back in time. I'm in 1960, but because my time energy is still in 2020, we can still communicate with mm. a walkie-talkie or so or, yeah. or whatever. So that's... That's interesting. Yeah. Way out there. <laughs> but I mean, when you think about it with a world line, who would he talk to? Yeah. He'd be talking to that world line's future, not his own world. I mean, line. it all depends. It all depends. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know I'm either. I'm not John Titor. <laughs> so, um, so it says that, uh, uh, let's see, after the flash of light is gone, are you then in another time? What does it look like as new time unfolds? Is it just there? Or does it slowly come into view? Uh, or does it fade in and out? Good question. Good question. So he comes back and says, while the time machine is on, uh, everything is black. When the machine is turned off, it is the reverse effect. It appears you are driving out from a bridge. To tell you the truth, I'm usually sleeping when the unit turns off, but yes, it does appear that the world fades in from black. Well, yeah, I mean, six or seven hour drive. So that tells me he doesn't have to control anything. No, it's just, well, he's not, he's not driving. Oh, it's just sitting there. It's just sitting. So that very much is H.G. Wells' idea as yeah. well, that it's sitting there and everything moves around. Cause him. he even talks about how there's a piece of the ground that gets caught in the time he calls it a gravity bubble, but in the time bubble, uh, that, that he takes back with him to hmm. the future. Interesting. Um, so it says, what happens if the device messes up? Do you end up in space? If it goes offline and shifts, does a hole open up somewhere? He says, good question. <laughs> <laughs> that almost never comes up. Which tells me that he's had these types of conversations before. In other world lines. In other world yeah. lines. Because that's also was going to be my question, too, is like, why does he feel okay sharing this yeah. stuff, right? Is it his part of his mission or what? Well, and he, he even talks about that because a lot of people question him, you know, and I, you know, I find it hard to believe you. And several times he says, I'm not here for you to believe me. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to get you to think about things to to change your outcome based on my world lines outcome and how close our two world lines are. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like if you can stop a world war and kill right. three billion people and then seeing how messed up we are as a world right now, I'm like, oh, God. So here, <clears throat> here's your question of why you wouldn't just end up in space. Yeah. Okay. So he says... Good question. (laughs) He says, The hard part of traveling through time is not the bending of gravity, but the plotting of your course 
and holding to the basic position in your environment. This is done through a system called the VGL or the variable gravity lock. Basically, the unit takes a reading of the local gravity and and samples it during the trip in pulses. If the gravity is too far off, the unit stops or reverses itself to the last sample period where the readings were correct. Mm. If there is some sort of failure, the unit shuts down and drops out wherever you may be. So that's scary. So what he basically is, is talking about there is that it's it's the assumption that I think people of scientists science has had that the Earth's gravity has always been the same. Mm-hmm. There's been no fluctuation in the Earth's gravity. It hasn't gotten stronger or gotten weaker over time. So the fact that the Earth's gravity is constant, you can measure what the gravity is, and then the system is constantly checking to ensure that that gravity is the same. So it doesn't drop you into space where there is no gravity. Right. So it basically, uh, if you want to think of it this way, it anchors you to that place on Earth, regardless mm-hmm. of where Earth is in the orbit around the sun. Hmm. Now, the whole dropping you out wherever you are, that is a little creepy, but um, especially if it drops you out in a world line that is a great divergence from your own. Yeah. But so... Um, and then he says, and I think this is really interesting. He says, please keep in mind a couple of points as I answer your questions. First, I am not a physicist. Time travel is only a tool that allowed me to do my job. Most airline pilots, probably not aerospace engineers. Right. Yeah. I was like, he's, he's military. He's not an astrophysicist or anything like that. For sure. Second, let me give you an example of the position we are in. Imagine you live in the year 1900. And a time traveler attempts to explain how a jet engine works. Even though the invention of the airplane is only a decade in the future, he would have to find some frame of reference to explain the basics of flight. Then he would have to outline the mechanics of how the engine works. As amazing as it was sound, the jet would be invented about 30 years later. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, you know, the, the magic of yesterday is the science of today. Right. You know, and I've always, I've always seen that. It's like if we went back in time and showed them our cell phone. Oh, well, I mean, if we went back to when, you know, when we walked on the moon. Yeah. And showed them our cell phone, I mean, it just, you know, we'd probably be locked up in an insane mm-hmm. town somewhere. I, I always love whenever, uh, they go back in time to like the, uh, Stone Age or things like that. They always end up giving the caveman headphones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Always. Always. It's like a prereq. Right. <laughs> so um, so here's the how it all works. Is Pamela asks, can you explain to me in detail the basic physics. Not a physicist. And mathematics. That's my religion. <laughs> behind how the machine operates and exactly how it distorts gravity. He says, time travel is achieved by altering gravity. This concept is already proven by atomic clock experiments. The closer an observer is to a gravity source, high mass, the slower time passes for them. Traveling at high speeds mimics this effect, which the twin paradox of faster than light travel. However, this type of gravity manipulation is not sufficient to alter your world line. The basic math to alter world lines exists right now. Tipler first described a working time machine through his theory of massive rotating spheres. 
I apologize for the website, but it was the only one I could find quickly. He then gives a site that explains, and it's an, it happens to be talking about Area 51, um, this, uh, this uh, Tepler uh, description. He says, certain types of black holes also exhibit the time travel abilities of Tipler cylinders. Kerr, uh, K-E-R-R, maybe Kerr, was one of the first to describe the dual event horizons of a rotating black hole. As with Tipler cylinders, it was possible to travel on a time-like trip through a Kerr black hole and end up in a different world line without being squished by the gravity of the singularity. Mm. He then gives a bunch of other links, like physics papers of FSU and all kinds of other stuff. The mass and gravitational field of a micro-singularity can be manipulated by injecting electrons onto its surface. By rotating two electric micro-singularities at high speed, it is possible to create and modify a local gravity sinusoid (laughs) that that replicates the effects of a Kerr black hole. For those asking how come micro-singularity doesn't swallow the Earth or want to know details about the size, stability, mass, temperature, and resulting Hawking radiation from such a thing, those details I must keep to myself. So he is still, in essence, keeping secrets. Yeah. Which tells you he was meant to to release these secrets. Yeah. This was enough to establish credibility mm-hmm. so that you might heed his caution. What if that is the whole purpose of that future military? Well, he, he does talk about they. So like the reason he went back to 1975 is he needed a specific mainframe computer that could read a certain kind of code that they didn't have in 2036. Mm. So he said they, they exist primarily to go back and get things right. that they need that they no longer have. That they no longer have. You know, because if, if you're looking at 3 billion people dying, that those are nuclear. Yeah. You know, there's... Well, he, he, he talks about the war a lot. And he says they, were, they used biological and chemical weapons uh, and then ultimately ended it in, in nuclear, yep. nuclear holocaust. So, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, and I don't know how long we've been going here, but I mean, I'm, I'm on page six of 17 and I trimmed that down from 150. <laughs> so, I mean, we might need to do a part two on this, man. Like, um, it, it, it is just, again, the, the level of detail that is provided and the, uh, again, the plausibility of, of, of what it could be. Um, let's see. So, so yeah, let's hit a little bit more and then let's indeed do a follow up. I would love to revisit this because I'm so massively interested <laughs> in this right now. So, so let me give you uh, two things here. One about travel to the future. Okay. And uh, then the, the next one about um, uh, traveling into the past a little bit more. All right. So um, Pamela asks him, can you travel to the future as well as the past? My understanding of the machine is the trip is recorded so that you can get back to your original timeline. But what about a future beyond your timeline? Are you able to access it as well? Not to be John Teeter here, but good question. (laughs) (laughs) I hadn't even thought about traveling forward. Um, So he says, yes, you can travel into the future and it takes less energy than going into the past. Huh. Um, 
she talks about the pictures that she has for the device. She says, I don't see the computer in the device. Is it a handheld device on the side of the unit? He says the computer system is connected to the unit through an electrical bus. There are actually three computers linked together that take the same signals from the gravity sensors and clocks. They use a Borda era. I don't know what that means. Must be something from the future. Correcting protocol that checks the integrity of the data and trips the VGL system. She didn't ask more about the future? Like the future future? <laughs> well, she says, what will the year 2036 be like? I want to know past that because now we know he can go the future. Well, it'd only be the future in his world line. Oh, so they can't go to other world line futures. Just no, their- just their own. <sighs> so many weird rules. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I'll, I'll, I'll do this and then we'll, and then we'll call this one. Um, cause honestly, this is stuff is so fascinating. I could keep going, but yeah, I, I want to revisit this for sure. Um, so it, it just says that I will ask you about your environment. Then I want to know about the family life and also about your religion. What religion has survived? He says, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ and we pray to God at churches. There are some differences you may be interested in. Religion is a major part of people's life in 2036 pain and change tend to bring people together and closer to God. This is true. However, religion is far more personal than it is now. I mean, you look at World War II and that's why the 50s were so like church-centric. He says there are no huge centralized religions and people talk openly about their beliefs. It might also interest you to know that the day of worship is Saturday, hmm. the day God meant to be the Sabbath. Well, so he says Seventh Day Adventist. <laughs> and the Ten Commandments have been restored to the ten that God gave us. So there was more than ten in his timeline. Wow. And they were restored to the ten. <laughs> um, and then, uh, so he just talks about, you know, you can get jobs as long as you can work. I thought I saw, I was going to skip to the part where he talked about God being themselves but i can't find it um so anyways yeah so we'll have to we'll have to come back and hit this again yeah i really really want to because i just saw you flipping and saw some stuff that i'm like i had those questions (laughs) um so we're gonna wrap up sadly i know you guys want more but so do we but we don't want to be here for three hours um we will revisit this um and holy moly i want to talk about this more And, and like i said i mean i i trimmed this what he talked about down to 17 pages from over 150. Jesus. We could probably spend in a, like four or five episodes talking about it. I had no idea when I when we put this dude on the list <laughs> that it was going to be this. Um, but yeah, very, very interesting. Wow. Uh, I want to jump right into our listener story real quick just to move things along. But John Teeter, look him up. He gave the website. I've already been perusing that message board. <laughs> it's insane. Um, looking at a bunch of different stuff. I'm like, there, is there a website that has compiled everything? I wonder there, if not, there needs to be. So there, there are people who have pulled things out to talk about them, but, and that's, and that's honestly what I was going to try to do when I first started this endeavor. And then I got to over 150 pages and, <laughs> and I was only like on third or fourth page of the message board. And so, yeah. Well, moving on to our listener story, 
Um, this one, this is actually a second listener story from someone we've had on before from the Haunted History of Kentucky. This comes from a guy named Jerry R. Hiles Arkambolt. Um, he is from Kentucky, and uh, we actually had our good friend and uh, voiceover actor, Brad McQuarrie, is actually the one that is portraying Jerry this time. I think I did it the first time. Uh, but this is the second story from Jerry Arkambolt, and uh, this is from Brad McQuarrie. Um, uh, by the way, Brad also hosts now with his wife a uh, kind of like a trying different things type YouTube channel called We What. Uh, it's pretty awesome. YouTube.com slash We What exclamation point question mark, I think. <laughs> so make sure to check that out. Um, it's a fantastic, funny show. Uh, but here he is doing Jerry's story. Hi, it's Jerry A. from Kentucky again. Sorry, this is a really long one, but it's definitely time for me to share and get this off my chest. Since I was but a little one, I have been gifted with the ability to feel and see at times the spiritual realm. If you have read or listened to any of my other experiences, you know more than most of my closest friends and family. It's very common because of the stigma for people to not talk about their experiences, afraid of being shamed or called a liar. Yes, some of my experiences have been so bizarre that even I had to shut my mind down and tuck them away in the far back side of my mind. Several have caused near mental breakdowns, depression even to the point of suicidal thoughts. Sometimes I feel like a cold breeze blowing, and with that I know I'm not alone. I will always, out loud, announce my position and a child of God, and that I will not allow any negative contact. Most of the time, it's not anything vicious. In fact, the majority of the time, it's just a shadow or a noise that can't be explained, like a knock when no one else is there. I moved into this apartment a little over three years ago that is owned by some family of mine. Everyone around knew the place was haunted. It was so bad that some people refused to even come in, and a few swore they would never sleep here. One example, a cousin of mine said she had a horrifying experience in the bedroom and refuses to sleep there anymore. This cousin of mine, let's call her Angel. Well, Angel said she had stayed in this certain bedroom for a couple months with a few mild experiences throughout. Movements with the bed while she was trying to sleep, and her boyfriend being shoved a couple times, and once even being completely pushed off the bed. Angel and her boyfriend started having arguments all the time, and before moving into the apartment, they never really argued. It got so bad that her boyfriend decided to go stay with a family member for a couple weeks. One night, Angel was in the shower after a long day at work. All of a sudden, the lights flickered a few times, quickly, to the point that she just kind of got confused, wondering if it was just her imagination. She hurried out of the shower and rushed to bed. She was so scared. She was overwhelmed by anxiety, even though she'd never really seen or heard anything. Finally, she fell asleep for about an hour, and then out of nowhere, she wakes up. Not able to move. Not able to scream or make any sound. Then, there it was. This huge, dark shadow. So dark she could see the outlines so vividly. Even though all the lights were out, it was standing at the foot of her bed. It was about seven and a half feet tall. She said the only way she'd explain it was that it was just this huge thing in size, muscular, with the head of a bird, and 
sticking out of its head were like two feathers or horns. It leaned over her motionless body and put its beak to her head and squawked so loudly she thought her head was going to explode. She felt dirty, violated. She said that nothing physically happened. It was more like everything happened telepathically. Well, after what seemed like an eternity, I'm guessing ten minutes, the thing stood upright and walked through the wall. That morning, she promptly moved out, and even though she does come to visit me there, she refuses to go back in that room, or even the bathroom. This happened to her six years ago, and she just told me this a couple weeks ago. Also, she asked to change her name and never tell anyone who she is, but gave me permission to share. Anyway, back to me. I moved in here over three years ago. When I first moved in, the place was very active. Shadows, things moving, tables, chairs, items, on to almost everything. And noises. One night I came home from work, and a picture that had been hanging on the wall was in the middle of the room, lying on the floor, face down, but not broken. This picture box was for a pet that had passed away, containing a picture card and a collar that my dog had worn. On the card is a scripture and a prayer ending with, in Jesus' name. This is when I decided to find out if this thing had evil intentions. Remember, I hadn't heard Angel's story yet. I immediately started praying and blessing everyone and everything. I felt a very cold breeze, and nothing was on to cause it. I knew right then that this thing was evil. I felt so nauseous, it was spiritually attacking me, as well as physically attacking me. In my mind, I could see this demon. I felt this thing that weighed almost 300 pounds, and I weighed about 150. I wasn't sure what was about to see or what was about to happen, and I felt fear start to overwhelm me. I had to stop for a second and regroup. Too late. This thing knew. It had to act now. The lights went out. Two bulbs blew at the same time. I shut my eyes and started praying for the protection of Jesus and the Archangel St. Michael. The air was so heavy and I felt like I couldn't breathe. I started walking through the place, blessing each room. I made it to the bedroom and I walked to the side of the bed and was shoved very hard onto it. I spoke loudly. In the name of Jesus, I demand you to stop. I command you to go back to hell where you came from. You are no longer welcome here. This is my home, and you are not allowed here. You are no longer allowed to harm anyone ever in this home. Now go, in the name of Jesus, be gone. The whole room was lighter. The weight was lifted. As I used oil to anoint each door and window, I heard faint squawks. I had no idea where it was coming from nor what was making the noise. I just kept doing it and praying till I couldn't hear it anymore. Nowadays, I feel the presence of a ghost from time to time, but nothing evil. Nothing has moved since. And you should know one thing. These things are real. Our realms are closer than you think, and we should all be careful what we dabble in. Someone had invited that thing into this apartment and it wasn't wanting to go anywhere. Just remember, there is a high power, and we as humans 
don't have to remain victims. If by telling this helps one person, I feel the backlash from a million will be worth it. Stay blessed and safe. And thanks for letting me share this. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Angel's Angel's story, well, that is still kind of maybe feel, almost feels like a, a night hag type stuff. Exactly. It's one of the reasons I was interested in having Brad do this one. Since him and I, um, through the past of the show, we talked a lot about night hags and yep. things like that. And in fact, he's got some new ones that have been happening. Um, it, I, I knew he could come across this real because he's been through it. Yeah. I mean, I, re- I really do feel like that, uh, and I, I've never had a night hag, but I, I really, I, mean, I, I just really feel in my bottom of my whatever it is that they are entities that feed off of fear. fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they do whatever they have to do to get you to feel fear mm-hmm. so that they can feed off of it. Yeah, they are able to manipulate electronics, um, able to yep. get up enough energy to push you or things like that just to get you enough to be scared. Yep. Um, very, very interesting thought indeed. And, uh, you know, and I mentioned to you before the show um, that uh, you know I was reading through... Uh, the complete secret cipher of the Euphronauts by Alan Greenfield, mm-hmm. and in the Terry Wrist, uh, there's a second interview in that book, and in, in the Terry Wrist talks about uh, the entities um, feeding off your fear. Huh. Uh, we keep finding that yeah. man. The things we keep talking about, we see it later in a documentary or a yeah. book or from someone. It's it's so a lot of synchronicities here. It's just you know, uh, again, you and I've talked about it. It's not like we don't have necessarily new ideas. They're new to us, and then we find things that reinforce them. Mm-hmm. So Very, very interesting. Uh, thank you, Jerry, for being brave enough to send in a second story, and this one is incredibly compelling. Phenomenal. Uh, and thank you, Brad, for portraying that for us. Um, thank you guys so much for tuning in. we got to get out of here. Um, it's just, <laughs> what an episode, man. <laughs> Um, but I want to encourage you guys to send in your listener stories to us to fearscapepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, please do that. Um, and then, you know, if you're wanting to know a little bit more about us and things that we do or whatever, go to fearscapepodcast.com. There you'll find links to our social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, those are all at fearscapepod and as well as fearscape media, our YouTube venture where we've got fearscape unhinged and anything video that we decide to do is all on fearscape media. So that's youtube.com slash fearscape media. Um, but we've got a few other things on the website as well. Yep. So we've got a, a great store. Um, all, you know, we've got some really awesome t-shirt designs out there. We continue to come up with more. Um, all of our t-shirt designs are available on other products such as mugs or shirts. Uh, no, not just shirt. Well, they are on shirts, but mugs or <laughs> totes or phone cases and even masks. Uh, um, yeah, we, we have the masks now. I know that's the trendy thing to do during all this COVID, but I mean, Hey, if it helps you stay safe because you're like, well, you know what? I like that blanket augers. Yeah. Design. I'll wear a mask wearing that. Well, what I think is really cool is our, our partners that we use for, uh, for t-shirts, um, that does our masks. For every mask that you buy, they donate a medical grade mask, uh, to the, to an organization that helps, uh, frontline workers. That's fantastic. Yeah. So absolutely 
get on there, help us. That that helps us fund certain things or pay for uh, things to help us push the podcast as far as yep. we can. Uh, the, you know, revenue we receive from those shirts. Uh, but another way you can support us is through our Patreon. Yep. Uh, so if you, you again jumping off point, fearscapepodcast.com. Just click on the menu and go to Patreon. And from there, there's a, there's a several different tiers. Um, you know, you can get a, uh, with each tier, you get the opportunity to get a free, uh, Fearscape sticker. That's right. Put it on your laptop, your car, your nipples, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, whatever floats your boat. And then, uh, also at a, at a certain level, you also get a, a free t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we're looking at doing some, some private content. So, you know, you get an access to our, our private Facebook group. So anyways, you know, it's just, yeah, Patreon's again. growing. I mean, there's always going to be new things that we'll be adding for our people that are Patreon only. Yeah. So again, like Stefan said, you know, every little bit helps, uh, to help us to do some things. And you know, once this kind of, once the, you know, quarantine lockdown is, 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 is more free, uh, we're, we're hoping to actually do some trips out to like Point Pleasant to mm-hmm. do an episode yep. out there and some other things. So hopefully, um, some more, um, let's say in the field mm-hmm. episodes are coming. And so every little, every little t-shirt mask or Patreon helps us to be able to pay for those trips. Absolutely. Um, and so once again, that's fearscapepodcast.com. So, uh, get out there, make sure to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure to share this podcast. The more people know, the more people know. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially. The more and you know, the more you grow. The more you know. Uh, but we're going to get out of here. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, this has been Stefan, and I will catch y'all on the flip side. This has been Josh. The truth is out there. And remember, folks, hold those blankets extra tight. Things tend to get spooky when you listen to Fearscape. Good night, everybody. Good night. I'm so glad you were able to join us for that horrifying discussion. I hope they didn't frighten you too much. (laughs) Tune in next week for even more research into the nightmarish and haunting creeps and spooks that we tell ourselves don't exist, but we know they do. Make sure you have your blankets that you hold them extra tight. Next time on Fearscape. (laughs) Ha 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 ha!